I'm going to do a brief introduction, but in the spirit of the center, really try to demonstrate something to you that tries to make the point. And in a sense, it's an invitation for you to think with us about a new direction that we've been working on. Um, it begins with the acknowledgement that uh, every research university has three distinct goals. Uh, they are uh, research or knowledge production, education, and some version of community service. Um, now, in fact, if you look at each of these goals, uh, they're, really, uh, they're really always, in a sense, involved with one another. So, for instance, if you're a researcher at a university and you produce new knowledge, in principle, if it's worth its salt, it somehow becomes part of the curriculum and therefore part of the educational program. And also, since it is part of the education that our students receive, it effectively always ultimately affects the community. Now, it may affect the community adversely in some cases, but nonetheless, it does enter the community, and we hope in the vast majority of cases in, in a benign way. And uh, obviously, our educational programs are directed towards preparing people, uh, either ideally or practically, for some kind of engagement in the community. And our direct efforts in the community really provide us also with the opportunity of offering students different kinds of practical experience, uh, as well as the opportunity to research what's going on. So the three goals are really already in some way deeply intertwined. Now the mission of the center has always been primarily an educational mission. But we began to ask ourselves the question, are there ways that we can begin to contribute to all three university goals by leveraging the fact that digital media provides us with a new capacity to be flexible so that things that exist in one domain can readily be transported and redeployed in another? And we began to glimpse a range of new possibilities related primarily to the applied professions where well, we could, in the context of a single project initiative, and that's what we're going to demonstrate to you today, a single example, where well, we could, in the context of a single project initiative, create meaningful bridges between educational preparation and the community, and between each of them and that basic function of a research university, the production of knowledge. Now, I could describe philosophically and politically the benefits of doing this, but in the spirit of our philosophy, which is to try to build more and talk less and then examine and look at what it is that we've made and done, I prefer that you see an example and then pick up the more general questions in the discussion that will come uh, after the presentation. So with that as an introduction, I introduce to you uh, my two colleagues in this project, Debbie Marcus and Susan Whitty. Folks. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Witte, and I teach at the School of Social Work. I teach beginning and advanced clinical practice students, and I'm also an associate director at the Social Intervention Group, uh, which is a research group that's housed at the School of Social Work, where for the past 15 years we've been developing and testing interventions to both prevent and ameliorate what we call contemporary social issues, among them HIV and AIDS. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today with my colleague Debbie Marcus from CCNMTL 
And I do want to note that there are many, many, both SIG, Social Intervention Group, and CCNMTL collaborators who contributed to this prototype and to these components uh, who I can't thank them all because we have short time, but uh, suffice it to say they are uh, here in spirit. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes telling you about the original Project Connect and then Debbie will lead a demonstration of Multimedia Connect and then I'll come back and tell you about how we're using some of those components in the classroom. This is a photograph of my colleagues at the Social Intervention Group. It represents faculty, investigators, doctoral students, master's level students, research assistants, interviewers, facilitators. Our mission is to develop, test, and disseminate, as I said, interventions to ameliorate key social issues, among them HIV and AIDS. Project Connect is actually the same term used for two things. One is an intervention, if you will, a program, a six-week program. Um, it's also the name of the randomized clinical trial, a relationship-based HIV STI intervention for heterosexual couples, a uh, randomized controlled trial with 217 couples that took place over four years between 1997 and 2002 and was funded to Nabila Elbasil, the principal investigator by the National Institute of Mental Health. It was the first HIV prevention program targeting couples together using the relationship as the unit of change. Quickly, why relationship-based interventions? Well, largely based on what we've learned, there's a recognition that despite our best efforts at HIV prevention, that women remain at risk of sexual transmission by their male partners, often husbands, spouses, and that despite efforts to date, new infections in women, both domestically and worldwide, continue to increase. We need to address the context of relationships and particularly of intimacy where HIV prevention occurs. So a relationship-based approach to HIV STI prevention we proposed would allow a more realistic appraisal of couple risk for HIV transmission. It would address or could address the context of gender and power in the relationship, intimacy, love, closeness, how they relate to HIV risk among couples, and it provides a supportive environment that can enable intimate partners to feel safer disclosing highly personal information like extradiatic relationships, sexually transmitted infections, and to learn together, if you will, effective couple communication and negotiation for condom use. There are four major theories that infuse this six-session intervention that takes place over six weeks. Cognitive and behavioral theories are standard practice in teaching skills and behavior change in HIV and AIDS. Feminist theory, gender role issues were infused to address power in the relationship, who takes initiative in sexual encounters, for example. Marital and family therapy was infused through communication technique, a key technique introduced early and then increasingly used to help the couple to communicate more often about safer sex. And the ecological framework allowed us to not only look at the dyad, but increasingly the family, neighborhood, the social support, if you will, um, and to see how the macro would impact on the micro. The intervention components, or the goals of the sessions, were to increase perceived vulnerability for HIV, to increase motivation to stay healthy, to share responsibility for safer sex, increase communication, male and female condom use, of course, and we call outer course anything other than uh, intercourse, increased joint HIV testing to promote safer sex among the family, friends, and community within the couple, um, which, within which the couple lives, and to maintain safer sex behavior changes over time. So essentially we were shifting the focus from an individual to protect, from protecting oneself to reframing safer sex as an intimate behavior between partners. 
So what we actually do in a session, if I'm facilitating with a couple or with an individual, would be to follow a scripted manualized format that dictates the language and activities I would use. And what we do is set a series of goals from the first session to the sixth, increasingly creating more opportunities to reduce risk. So we would review a goal from the previous session, explore successes or barriers to success, review the skills from the earlier session, introduce new content, model those skills, and set a goal for the next week, and give the couple male and female condoms and access to um, other things they might need to practice those skills. So shifting now from the program itself to the randomized clinical trial, we took that program and we did a randomized clinical trial funded by NIMH where we screened over 2,000 women to identify 388 eligible women who then recruited their male partners. We did a baseline assessment with 217 couples and randomized them to either receive the couple intervention scripted for both against providing the same intervention to the woman by herself against a single session control intervention that just gave information with no skills base. And then we did a three-month and 12-month follow-up uh, to measure change. And the, the results are available in two articles, one in the American Journal of Public Health and the other in AIDS and Behavior. So I'm going to go quickly through the findings. But what we found at both three and 12 months were that we did see re uh, a, redu a reduction in the number of unprotected sexual acts in the prior 90 days, as you can see in both the couple and the woman alone and in the education session, but significantly in both the couple and the woman alone conditions. And then we also saw the proportion of protected sex increase in all three groups to some extent, but significantly in the couple and the woman alone. And actually what I left out is that we were testing two aims. The first aim was to identify whether providing the intervention in either a couple or a woman alone format would be efficacious against the control, a simple test of efficacy of the intervention. The second test was to see if adding the male partner to the condition would enhance efficacy. Um, and we, in fact, didn't see significant differences between the two types of condition. So what we learned is that the relationship-based intervention is effective in reducing risk behaviors, that beha behavior change was maintained over time, up to 12 months, that the study gives us two alternative methods for providing risk reduction to a woman alone or two partners, and that this relationship-based intervention can be delivered to a couple together or to a single woman. Um, and that we need to adapt and make it more widely disseminable, and we need to disseminate it, frankly, because we need to get it out there rapidly. And this led us to the collaboration with CCNMTL, which began about 18 months ago, to discuss how we would take this then, and because it's largely paper-based, and it's labor-intensive, and it's training, and it's application, create it in such a way that we can reach people quickly and effectively. Um, so there are three main goals of Multimedia Connect, which Debbie will demonstrate in just a minute. The three goals are, one, to improve the outcomes of the intervention by making more effective use of media, and it'll provide us with new forms of behavioral support so we can infuse uh, video animations, interactive exercises, generally more visuals, and that uh, we'll be demonstrating some of those. Second, that we can widen the range of facilitators that have access to being able to employ it. It's structured, it'll be standardized, and the new training possibilities mean that you can revisit the content and use videos for reinforcement. And finally, it'll be internationally deployable because it'll be internet and CD-ROM based, and it can be, therefore, easily localized for culture and for language. 
the HIV epidemic is worldwide and heterosexual transmission persists as the dominant mode, so there's a great need for this. Um, the practical application of these three goals was borne out in a series of collaborative, collaborative discovery meetings, if you will, and the four main points that emerged in our thinking that you'll see in the prototype are that a separate but complementary environment can be created for the client interaction and for the facilitator training, and that the skills modeling, male and female condoms, communication techniques originally conducted by a facilitator can be done with video models, that didactic information could be made more engaging using animation and other interactive games the couple can participate in, and uh, very importantly, that recording the client's decisions in their process can give them an artifact, a manual, if you will, to remember the sessions by and to create a sense of accomplishment. So, of course, now we have the prototype to demonstrate to you, and I'll, I'm going to turn it over to Debbie, and then I'll come back to show how at least one of the components that are created are deployed in the classroom at the School of Social Work. Um, so as Susan mentioned, I'm going to show you a prototype of our thinking. Uh, this is still in development. We're still creating this project, but we have a prototype of specifically what a project could look like with the clients. Um, so what I'm going to show you is something that we envision to be used with a facilitator and clients in a clinical session. So they'd be there together, and there'd also be a computer that both the clients and the facilitator would interact with. Um, we envision that the, there would be a, basically a roadmap. So this is being deployed to facilitators who may or may not be comfortable with interventions in particular, or may or may not be that familiar with this intervention. So we've actually created a roadmap so that the facilitator and the clients will know what's coming up. They can see that there are six sessions, the orientation session through session five, and as they go through the various sessions, they'll notice that the activities that they're asked to do in the intervention actually change. Um, we start on the orientation session, or session zero, um, and you'll notice all of the activities that are used, uh, that, that the clients are going to go through throughout the session. You'll notice that we start with a blank screen. This is really to illustrate that although technology can really enhance the dissemination of this intervention and can really enhance the client's uh, interaction with the intervention, multimedia is not a component that's necessary throughout a clinical intervention. There are obviously many times where the focus has to be on the communication directly between the clients or between the facilitator and the clients. So while there be a note for the facilitator that in this section, this is the introduction, there's not an actual multimedia activity that's going to happen during that period. That is a point where the facilitator interacts with the clients. Um, and Susan is going to demonstrate, as, as I go through this uh, prototype, how certain activities are conducted in the clinical sessions right now, and then I'll show how they could be conducted in Multimedia Connect. So a quick before and after, before we would have a series of cards we would take to a session, and we would do a myth and fact game to do simple education, and I would hold up a card and say, myth or fact, all people who have HIV look sick. A couple would answer, and then we just flip it over and read. The fact is people with HIV look and, and feel healthy. So very simple paper-based. We can use multimedia to make this a little more of an engaging activity for the client. So the clients can actually look at this almost like an interactive game where they have to decide um, myth or fact, which one are the clients going to click on. Um, so when they make their decision, they actually can be provided more information about the specific statement. In this case, oh no, not all people with HIV look sick. In fact, Magic Johnson, and we can have images or videos playing of Magic Johnson playing basketball during the Olympics where he actually was HIV positive and no, he obviously does not look sick at this point in time. 
Okay, so in teaching things like sexually transmitted infections, what are they, how are they transmitted, is very uh, verbally laden and hard to imagine in the abstract. So we, we would describe it and we would provide a chart that provides a list of types of sexually transmitted infections and the symptoms. And so again, very paper-based and the clients can take that with them, but it didn't really uh, help in the moment to teach uh, effectively, we think. So this is very cumbersome both for the facilitator and for the clients. The facilitator has to remember all of the scientific and health information. Um, and the client has to just listen to it being told to them. It's very hard to digest a lot of the scientific information without really seeing visually what exactly we're talking about. So we can take advantage of uh, animations to both standardize the delivery of this. So the same information is being delivered to all the clients who are going through this intervention regardless of the facilitator. But it also gives the clients a visual representation to really take home. Um, so in this case, we just have a sample of an animation that can be used to talk about HIV transmission if someone has a sexually transmitted um, infection. So here in this case, the skin is healthy and provides a barrier to the HIV particle. However, if you add a lesion caused by a sexually transmitted infection, the barrier breaks and you are at risk for contracting HIV. Bad particle. Can break the barrier. And this is something that makes sense visually. It's a lot easier to, to keep track of and remember this kind of information when you have this sort of visual, visual representation. Um, one of the things that Susan noted uh, is that communication techniques have to be taught to the clients. They have to re really relearn or learn how to communicate with, to each other about very, very difficult topics, talking about their sexual behaviors and about their risky behaviors. Um, so the technique that is taught throughout the intervention is something called a speaker-listener technique. And they have right now one video that can explain, that shows a demonstration of this technique and the clients learn how to perform that technique with each other. However, this technique is used throughout the intervention. So increasingly as you get to weeks four, five, and six, they're talking about very difficult um, very difficult conversations between the couple about their sexual behaviors, about perhaps their sexual behaviors outside of the relationship. This is something that's very difficult. So I'm going to show you is an example of how video can be used to help teach and model this technique. But one of the things we're also thinking about doing is uh, shooting video that actually has couples model this technique throughout the intervention. So they will see couples engaging in this very difficult conversation, and then they, they also can um, practice the behavior. Uh, this is just a video showing the introduction to the that technique and you actually will see the different components of the technique change that are highlighted as the technique, as the model goes on. The television to me, it seems that you do spend more time with the television sometimes than conversating with me. For an example, there are times when you can stay up late hours to watch television, but if it comes down to spending up late hours with me, you're tired you can go right to bed and fall right asleep. It seems to you. It you seems to me that way. Right. So you're saying that uh, it's more comfortable for me to watch television than it is to be with you? Yeah. Yeah, really great, great summary. Good listening. Yeah. Can I have the floor? Why don't you change the floor? Then you can say. So you can see an example of the technique of the floor being passed back and forth and the listener who actually rephrases what the speaker is saying rather than reacting immediately to what the speaker is saying. Now this is an example of obviously using the technique in something that is outside of HIV uh, reduction. However, we can 
create videos that are more applicable to specifically to this intervention and as it's used throughout the intervention. Um, one thing I want to point out, obviously, we're talking about HIV, which means uh, throughout the, the rest of our presentation, you will see some sexually explicit um, language up there. I just want to warn you before you see it on the screen. Okay, so this actually is, uh, this happens in, in session two, and this is our uh, safer sex arranger or risk arranger, if you will. And the idea is it's very important to understand the relative level of risk of a particular behavior before you can change it or make it safer. So before we had multimedia, we would, we would pass out um, a series of cards to a couple that would describe different sexual behaviors. And we would ask them, or not, and we would ask them to arrange them in a linear fashion from lowest risk to highest risk. So they would kind of lay it out on the floor or the table or at least discuss together. Um, what we have here in, in terms of an interactive exercise will allow the couple to together discuss and decide which of three categories from low risk to high risk a particular risk behavior falls under. They have to drag each behavior over to the appropriate category and if they try to put it into the wrong category, currently they can't do it. So it sort of forces them to, to do the learning and the process. Uh, but it is helpful to engage in that dialogue and to engage in the game. They're not allowed to, they can't actually move on to the next part of the exercise until they've successfully categorized each of the sexual behaviors. And we tried to create an exhaustive list. For, yeah. So after the clients create their list and learn what are riskier and less risky behaviors, they engage in a conversation with each other where they have to note what are the behaviors that they are currently engaged in. Um, and so they, on their I love you to-do list, make a list of what their behaviors currently are. And so the, the goal, of course, if you're trying to reduce risk, is to get a true list of present behaviors and then to do an analysis about what are the goals you're going to set for, for both stopping current risky behaviors and crossing those off your present behavior list, if you will, and then adding future additions to your I Love You to-do list that are safe behaviors that you can enjoy and that are safe. One of the things we want to point out are the activity notes um, that will happen alongside the intervention. So at any point during the intervention, the facilitator or the clients can make note of specific things that really important things that have happened during the session that they want to remember and take home with them. So in this case, uh, Randy discussed that he previously had sex outside of the relationship and he's committed to stop. This is an important moment in the intervention that we want captured and the facilitator or the clients could enter this in if that's something that is discussed in the session. In addition, all of this information, both the, inter the interactive activities, the activity notes, will be captured in what we call our, the online journal. So, for example, in this session, uh, the clients will be able to take home with them a PDF, a printout of everything that happened in the session. Here you'll see the I love you to-do list that the client has created, along with the activity notes. Um, there will also be all of the science and health and the, the psychoeducation content, as we call it, uh, a chronicle of everything that they've done in the session. This has, hopefully, uh, very, uh, several implications. One is that they actually have a graduation certificate. When they print this out at the end of six sessions, they've seen that they've accomplished so much stuff. This is all the information that they've covered together. It also means that six months after the session, they can go back and see what is it we've agreed to? What are the behaviors that we, we, we set, the goals that we set for ourselves? Are we meeting them? We can go back and relook them over, which is something that the clients in the current Connect are not able to do. 
And uh, what's really nice, I think, about this is that the learner is learning by making or doing, so that they're, they're consciously engaged in constructing an entity, the, the product which reflects the intelligence of the process that they can take with them. And so in the, the spirit of constructionism, what Seymour Papert calls um, the N-word as opposed to the V-word, it's creating while you're learning, and you can take it with you, as Debbie said, which we're very excited about. Um, also, in the ecological framework that Susan talked about before, uh, the clients actually conduct a social support network map. If you mm -hmm. want to show how they, how right. That so our, the early version of the social support network map, in fact, how we were teaching it in the classroom as well, is to use very paper-based charts where you literally would make a list of the names of all the people in your support network, people that you consider to be friends, families, coworkers, neighbors the number of years you've known them, how much time you spend with them, and in this context, the degree to which they'd be supportive of your healthier behaviors, your risk reduction behaviors, and then to transpose the list of names onto four categories of types of support that you receive, including, for example, social support or practical support. So in Multimedia Connect, the clients can actually create a real map, a, phys a physical map that they can look at to actually create their world, who are the people in their world that they can actually click and drag them onto the map, note who they are, note what kinds of support um, they provide. Now, we talked about that all of the, the contracts that we're building in this prototype are things that can be used in the field, but also back in the classroom. So this is actually the first um, component that we started working with, and we built a, a version, a live version. This is our social support network map that was actually used in uh, Susan's class last semester. And this is live on the internet right now, so you can add specific people, name them. Oh. Frank's been a very bad influence on me lately. <laughs> and note what kinds of support um, or lack of support uh, the people in the map provide. So this is a complete working version of the prototype that we created. And Susan can actually talk about how this translates into her classroom curricula. So in, in, in a classroom setting, for example, last semester we used this in an advanced clinical practice course, and the concept of social support is important in social work and mental health, um, as you can imagine, the idea that you are trying to identify who's going to support whatever the issue for work or the problem is that's to be changed. So what we did this semester for the first time is we I, I not only gave out readings about what social support is, theoretical construct, and how you would use it in a practical setting, but I could also give the students access to the URL for this live social support uh, network map creation. And I did a demonstration of how you would use it. They were between one week and the next able to access it and create their own maps of social support, if you will. And then we came back to the classroom and had a chance to talk about that integration, how useful it would be for if they could deploy it in their community-based agencies where they do their field practice. And then we were also able, while in the classroom, because in our new school of social work, we actually do have classrooms where each um, space has a computer, to sit and to role play, taking on the role of a client with a particular issue, not necessarily specifically HIV prevention, but it could be intimate partner violence where a woman or a man is trying to decide whether they can leave the relationship and who will support that decision to leave. And the client uh, could be played by one of the students and then the worker was played by another student and they engaged in the process of using it and applying it to a situation and they gave feedback about how useful that was. So like, this is the first component that we actually are using in the classroom, but you could see many of the components that I showed you in the prototype could also be used in the classroom 
the speaker listener videos are used throughout the curriculum at the, school, at the School of Social Work and so by creating newer, modern and more targeted videos for Connect, we can also then reuse them in, the, in various classrooms throughout the School of Social Work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll show you one more item of the prototype. We've shown you our vision of how this will work with clients. Um, we also envision a robust faculty training, that there'll be in some kind of on-site training, a one or two day training, which can really, we can cut down to one or two day from the rigorous training that, that was um, conducted for the initial connect, and then leave them with a self-study environment that has all of the information they need to know about the intervention that was covered in the workshops and further information that they weren't able to cover in on-site training. So we could really disseminate this widely, locally, nationally, and hopefully internationally. Um, where in this environment they would go through all of the different sessions that the clients went through. However, in the activity area you would actually see what you as a facilitator should be doing. So this is just an example. There could be other information that the facilitator needs to point out during all of these activities. There would also be an area for theory and research. What imbued this um, intervention? Where did all of these activities come from? Why are they important? And also an area for special situations. So in this case, if someone is dissociative or someone has disclosed an affair. We don't know where that may or may not happen throughout the intervention, but what do you do in those situations? We can have video models of different, different facilitators employing different techniques to deal with those situations. And those, all, of that, all of the stuff that is in this training module could also be used, again, back in the School of Social Work for intervention training and for um, various clinical practice courses. So that is our, our in, our, how we envision the project to date. So you probably get the sense of what we're trying to do. We're trying to create uh, what is a, a kind of tribal bridge that brings together the three missions of the university. Uh, what we have here is a, a prototype of something we're building, and that will become part of a uh, solicitation to the National Institute of Mental Health for what they call an R4 grant that will study whether or not it works as an effective form of dissemination. It also extends the research that Susan and her colleagues have been doing. Each of the components and elements uh, of the intervention uh, in the media form as well as in the prior form can become active parts of the classrooms of the uh, School of Social Work. And of course, the ultimate goal of doing any of this kind of work is to help people. And uh, it's clear that uh, what we're trying to do is to take a very word-intensive clinical intervention that has been performed by highly skilled people and to democratize the capacity to implement it within a range of social and community organizations so that people who are really living on the ground with people who are in this kind of danger can, uh, in a sense, develop the skill and confidence to engage in, in this kind of intervention. Uh, we're, we're looking at a number of other areas where we can do similar kinds of work. Uh, many of them are health-related, uh, like autism. We're also interested in work we can do like this uh, in the context of trying to help certain developing countries deal with uh, very aggressive and pernicious uh, health and community problems that they face. Um, so with that as a, a kind of introduction to what is a new initiative of the center to try to work in this new manner where we're looking in all three directions at once, we welcome your questions. Thank you.